Hey, what's up? This week, former UFC and WEC champion Anthony Pettis joins us and talks about the highs and lows of his MMA career, what we can expect moving forward, and drops some knowledge for the future generations. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we chat with some of the most influential people in the sports, entertainment, and cryptocurrency space. So if you like to learn some stuff, laugh a little bit, maybe make a little extra money, hit that subscribe button, turn on notifications, and you can also check us out on Spotify and iTunes. We appreciate it. Anthony Pettis, thank you so much for joining us today, man. You know, just doing the prep for this and um, obviously big fan of MMA, big fan of yours. You're looking at your resume and like you basically beat up everybody who anyone's ever heard of in the MMA space over the last 10 years. So congratulations on that, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, you know, I want to ask you just first of all, like when you first got started in MMA, what was that first experience like when you walked into your first like, because you've boxed, you've wrestled, you've done Taekwondo since you were five. But when you really put it all together, what was that first experience like? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like when I, when, the reason I got into MMA, and not a lot of people know this, is I, I own a Taekwondo gym in uh, Wisconsin, a couple of them actually. And me and my older brother were business partners. And we saw the UFC and how popular it was becoming. We're like, yo, we're going to get left behind if we can't teach our students and mixed martial arts. So me being the younger brother, he was like, yo, go learn jiu-jitsu pretty much. And I had to find out what the best jiu-jitsu place was in Wisconsin. And I randomly uh, stumbled upon Duke Rufus's gym on Google. And I'm like, uh, I'm like, man, like, I got to go tr start training here. I was a kickboxing dash jujitsu gym. Kind of like the only, it was before mixed martial arts was a thing. There was no mixed martial arts gyms. It was like kickboxing, jujitsu. It was all separate. So I go sign up at Duke's. I go to Duke's gym. I sign up. And, um, man, like, the the atmosphere that he had in there, like, it was, like, addicting as heck, man. Like, I, the only way I can, like, even consider, like, Related is like a casino. Like there's so much to do there. It was like so many things that I, I could get into: jujitsu, kickboxing, fighting, teaching. Like there was, it was just like a, a kid in like a candy factory. And I, I got, I got blessed um, to be to, to walk into his gym. But like my my dad died when I was 16, so that was like exactly the, the same time frame of me finding mixed martial arts. So I was 16 years old. My dad was killed in a house robbery across the street from my house. You know, like so at 16, you're kind of deciding what kind of man you're going to be. I mean, are you going to home, uh, prom or homecoming? You know, like that was the decisions I was making at that time. Then my dad got killed, you know, and it changed everything. Like my whole perspective of life was like, how do I make my little brother have a good life? And, and I was 16 when I had to do that. You know, I'm paying my mom, I was paying rent, you know, at my house in high school, but martial arts allowed me to do that. And that's why, you know, I, I give everything back to martial arts. And when I found MMA, it was just my calling, like something you like, you know, when you're just you're like, this, this is it. Like it just happened. Like it just clicked. And I just, I knew that was uh, the path I was going to go on. And that's funny, man. Like I know about your, your dad's situation and you just had another, another daughter. So, yeah. you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but you know, like, it's funny. Cause you said like, that was like your calling. And that's one of the things that I've always um, been really passionate about is like, you got to find things right. Like that, like you can't not do. And like you said, yeah. like, that's like, you can't see yourself doing anything that wasn't MMA. Do you think like when your dad passed that, that like really kind of was a catalyst to lighting a fuel for you being a professional fighter? Man, that's weird. So like, like a lot of people think that like, like, oh, it's like the anger from him losing his pops. But like, my, so my dad started me in Taekwondo. Well, my mom did, but my dad would take me to the tournaments and he made me like compete. So he was like there at all my competitions. Like his, his like line to me, like as a kid, it was like, I had the tiger Mijo. And that's like, I always remember that before every fight. I'm like, I'm thinking that in my head and like, he's there with me. And I never really fight out of like anger. I think, um, it made me find something that I had to give all my attention to because I was so distracted in the normal life. Right. I was in high school and I was, I was going to the normal life, but once I lost him, my, 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 my shift, my, my mindset changed, you know, like I was like, man, I have to pay bills now. Like I, I have to support my mom, my little brother. Um, 
and and it gave me that mindset change of like all right kind of maturity like like i'm sure when, when you have kids i do i've got four kids man i've, I've got a, i've got twins that are 10 i've got a 21 year old son and then i have a newborn also um that's oh, like one years old so yeah we've got oh, a lot of parallels awesome. here so, yeah my daughter's 10 and then my newborn you know, so it's a big gap between the two but so you, you know when you have your first kid and like your whole mindset changes you're like holy now and now it's not just about me that was forced upon me at 16 man and like i had to like think differently and I think um, MMA was my distraction from that, which is wild. Like I was like so focused on how do I pay the bills? How do I get my mom to be okay? Like my little brother, make sure he's, you know, finishing school and doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then MMA was like my distraction. And when I was in MMA, I was like, dude, I'm not even thinking about none of that stuff. So it, it wasn't like a fuel. It was more of a distraction from that life. Yeah. And, and you come from a traditional background in martial arts. I mean, some guys um, it, like outside of the sport, people sometimes can view it as this like roughneck. These guys are fighters. And there's there's a blurred line between the martial artist side, too, that I think Definitely. that, you know, people that started in the martial arts aspects really uh, bring forward. What's your what's your uh, what do you do mentally to prepare for a fight? Like like when you're in the back there, you're you're you know, let's just say you're on your way from the host hotel to uh, the venue. Where's your head at? What, what's going on? And that's a man. That's an amazing question. Honestly, like this is these are these are great questions because like usually these interviews are way different, you know. Like, but that that changed in the beginning to where I'm at right now. So like, uh, I think as my as my experience in life changed and like my 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 understanding of feelings, actions, and emotions change, I could actually in, uh, get into that process. So I used to be hooked on. I used to get hooked. Like I, I my my ther- like my sports psychologist. He, he helps me understand feelings, thoughts, and actions. It's like our, our, our brains are programmed. Like it's like a radio station to go to triple F fears, flaws, and failures. And if, if, if we get attached to one of them thoughts, we're going to make decisions like fuse, like with, with goggles on, if you will. And it's not our real, like true values. So like I, I learned how to detach myself from fears, flaws, and failures and bring myself back to the present moment. Um, and then when I'm training, like when I'm in the gym, I, 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 I do some mindful stuff. Like, like, when I take a shower, I make sure I'm in the shower. I'm not, my, my mind isn't going all over the place. Um, and when I'm in the gym, I'm, I am mindful that I'm in the gym and I'm not thinking about how my pain bills or what I got to do next. And if you can attach to that, that's the best results I've gotten in the octagon. When I'm present in the octagon and I'm not thinking about what's next or what's, what I'm doing later. Or, and, and it's so hard to do because our brains are literally programmed to go to these fears, flaws, and failures. And I'm about to have a result that's a win or a loss. And most people think in wins and losses, right? So like when where kids are like, you're either good, or you're not good. And then when I found out that like, there's like a medium between that, like just because I lost doesn't make me not good. And I'm getting deep into that, but yeah, but I, I, I got, I got uh, mindset coaching and it did change my whole career. What do you think is the biggest distraction that you face going into fights? Social media, social media, social media is, is like, uh, and, and my career happened when social media started. I think I made my Instagram when I was the champ of the UFC. So, so like it was all access to these athletes and never before was this done. Like, um, you know, basketball players, NFL players, like they couldn't just message them in their inbox, you know, and then MMA starts becoming popular. And I mean, these fans have opinions and it's up to you to be able to like, again, fierce flaws and failures, detach from one comment before it takes you down that wrong path. Like you suck at wrestling and boom, now you're like only doing wrestling. And that's what happened to me in my career. Like I, like I heard that, like I lost my belt. Like Pettis has no wrestling, and I literally only did wrestling, and it took away from what I was actually good at, and it kind of hurt my career a little bit. So, um, you know, you talked about leveling up this year. What does that mean exactly? You said on Instagram you're going to level up this year. Yep my 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 whole mindset is always being the better version of myself. Like, and and a lot of people like they see me, they're like, oh, he's the UFC champ, and he lost his belt. But man, I'm 
I'm in a better spot mentally, physically, and emotionally than I than I was last year. And that's that's what leveling up is to me. It's like, how do I be the best version of myself? Whether it's in the octagon, whether it's being a father, whether it's being a, a husband, um, you know, a brother, a, a son. Like, I, I want to be the best version of myself. And that's what I always focus on. What's one thing that you wish that, like, the, the casual MMA fans knew more about the sport? I would say the um, the background, you know? Like, I think these guys get in and they're, they – they see these bloody fights and they see, they see like what the sport has become now, but like to get to that spot, I would consider myself one of the pioneers. You know, like I had to, I, I did the Showtime kick. I was on the Wheaties box and like, I got a lot of eyes over to MMA and that, that was, we're talking like, you know, 10 years ago. And now how many eyes are MMA? Like they don't really understand the history of the sport. And like you said, like I'm a martial artist. So like my, my, for me, like even like I own, I own a couple of gyms. Like I tell my, my parents and my students, like my, my vehicle to teach life skills is martial arts. But what we're really doing is teaching life skills. So if you see these martial artists like fighting each other with some tattoos, they have, they have this like mindset of, oh, these guys are barbaric. They're not smart. They don't you know. And I, I had to I had to deal with that a lot coming in, like making people understand, like, no, this is like I've learned martial arts as a vehicle to learn confidence, uh, uh, self-esteem, discipline, how to even you know represent myself. Like I grew up in a shitty neighborhood in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I lost my father at a young age, but I feel like martial arts is the reason why I can carry myself the way I do. What do you think a, a martial art is that a traditional martial art that people talk shit about that you think actually could be applicable in the MMA space and maybe people should train more? Yeah, I think uh, Taekwondo, man, like my, my discipline itself. I think most people are like, well, that's fake. And, you know, my, even my gyms, like people are like, oh, that's a the commercialized version of martial arts. But, um, I made it, I made it, I made it practical, man. I'm jumping off cages. Like literally that Showtime kick that I did that was like so famous. I just posted it today, actually. It's the, the 11th year anniversary of it, which is wild. Finally, we can get some footage of that. No one's seen it yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, the kick scene around the world, man. So uh, when, when I when I did that, you know, that came from jumping off walls and breaking boards at, in a demo team. And that's the concept came from that. So like, that's, that's, that's the Taekwondo part of, of mixed martial arts. And that's the flashy part, man. People love them spin kicks, jump kicks, and, and, you know, the, 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 the things that you don't always see, like them knockouts. And I built my career on that, honestly. Like, that's why my nickname Showtime, just because my fighting style has Taekwondo behind it. Were there ever any uh, other potential nicknames that you kind of vacillated between besides Showtime? Pretty boy. Pretty boy, that that, yeah, that dude, doesn't age well though. That nickname, like you dude, can't be ninety so years old and to be yeah, pretty, pretty boy. boy. Yeah. Exactly. Nah, man, Showtime worked perfect. So like the way Showtime came about is my coach Duke Rufus. We were fighting on the same card. It was his last retirement fight in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was the co-main event. And uh, it was wild. They're fighting on the same card as my coach, and I get my shoulder dislocated in the fight, and I still like I stand up, and my shoulder's like out, and I head kick knock out the guy, and like. I forget the first round and Duke right after that was like, man, you like, he's like passed the torch. He's like, man, you're showtime. Like this is, this is your city now. And uh, man, that's how it all started. Yeah. I mean, I think that like everyone in their mother that's ever watched an MMA fight and has watched, I, mean, I think arguably your, your kick of Ben Henderson off the cage is the most spectacular knockout for a myriad of reasons in, in the sport. Um, that's obviously a huge win. If you could go back and you look back at your record, if there was one fight that you wish you could have back, what would that one be? Tony Ferguson. Instant. Oh man, yeah, we went to war. Me and Tony went to war, and that's like, I, and it looks bloody, and it looks like, like, uh, it looks. I, I think it looks more barbaric to people than it really is. Like a, a cut on your eyebrow isn't like as bad as a, a concussion in boxing, you know? Like it's that's way worse. So like that fight, we were bloody, we were having fun, we we're smiling. Like it was, 
it was honestly just pure, pure joy. Like I was like, man, this is just a, a fun time. And I broke my hand, almost knocked him out. And then I broke my hand on the second punch. And it was just like one of them fights where you can't fight that guy with, with, with one less weapon that you, you already have. So my coach called it and we never got to see that third round. Yeah, is that one of those fights where, like, I feel like everyone sometimes, not to make this about me, but you know, when I was fighting in the local circuit and then, like, the, I leveled up in competition, I fought Tiago Alves. That was my first <laughs> exposure to go, oh, yeah, there's another Tiago's level. my boy, man. That's crazy, bro. Tiago legit is like a real pioneer of this. Yeah, and I, and I love Tiago. He's going to be on the podcast. We've done seminars together and stuff. We're, we're good friends now. Um, but, like, that was my first exposure that, like, oh, man, you know, like, there's some, like, some killers out there at the, because like, the, the B circuits, you know, you're cutting your teeth on guys that are, they don't know if they're making it a living yet especially back 10 15 years ago when nobody was like yo this is my career path some guys were hobbyists taking these fights on the weekends that was my first time that i was like oh no that's that's not a that's not a good fight was there a was there a pivotal time in your career at all that you were like okay this was my i mean your first loss was to bart palzuski in uh, wc right yeah so was did you go back to the drawing board after that and make some changes or did you just keep um kind of trucking Dude, the, that that fight, Bart Pelashevsky, I don't, I don't even know the story. So, like, probably 11 weeks, no, two months before that fight, I fell off a motorcycle and dislocated my shoulder, and I had shoulder surgery. So if you watch that fight, I couldn't even pick my left arm up to defend. I had to fight him like this because I, I had no, my like, my AC joint came out of my skin. It was nuts. And uh, at that point, man, I was just like, I was a wild boy. I was like, yo, I'm not pulling out this fight. And and Duke's like, you sure? So if you watch that fight, literally, I could not, I couldn't hold my guard up. So I had to fight him like this. And I, I thought I won that fight still. But yeah, it's wild. When I look back at my career, I'm like, man, I was doing some crazy things at, at a young age. Yeah, you know, well, speaking of your career, you know, obviously you could look at your record and it's pretty easy to figure out what were some of the highlights and lowlights in the cage. What do you think have been some of the highlights and lowlights of your MMA career outside of the cage? Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, um, that that uh pursuit after i lost the belt all right let's just we'll, we'll go to that part of my career i did the showtime kick i was supposed to fight for the ufc world title because the wc champ was gonna fight the ufc champ uh frank yeager and uh craig maynard fight to a draw so i was like forced to fight clay guida i lose the clay guida um so i, I had these crazy up and downs like in, in that spot and then all of a sudden i go on this tear i'm on the Wheaties box and you know i'm on espn you know, top tens first i think i was one of the first mma guys on espn top tens with that Showtime kick, and I'm talking 11 years ago now. So, um, like I had some super high highs, and then I had some super low lows, and I never understood how to deal with those times, man. I didn't understand like my emotions were making me, like, my feelings were making me make decisions that I normally wouldn't make, and I was making these fused decisions in my life, and I put myself in some bad spots, like just uh, emotionally. Like I was letting, I was letting the, uh, like I said, social media can get you big time, man. If you put a lot of you know, effort and thought into that, and you let these like comments get to you, it changes your mindset. And then you as a person, without even knowing, you're on autopilot making these decisions that you normally wouldn't make. So I, I, I learned, I learned a lot in my career from the high highs and low lows. Um, the lowest I've ever been probably was after I lost the RDA. You know, I, I was, I was the world champion. He took my belt and, and he whooped my ass. That was the first time I've ever got my ass whooped. I, I think I, before that, I don't think I ever bled in a fight before I fought RDA. It, yeah, I never bled in a fight before RDA. Um, no even gave me a black eye, which is which is wild. And then RDA, you know, he really whooped my ass. And, like, I was like, man, that this this is what could happen. And, like, I was on the other side of it for the first time. You know, like, I was like, man, I'm not I'm not the guy in the leads box. I'm a guy that, yeah, it was, it was different. The mindset was different. And dealing with that was really hard, honestly, man. It, it, it was into my – it seeped into my family life. It seeped into my business life. Um I was making, like I said, I was making decisions not that I normally wouldn't make because my feelings were in charge of my actions. So, um, you know, 
in prepping for the interview, like I was watching a bunch of your other interviews and I, I came across some uh, footage of a YouTuber that um, put together a highlight reel of yours that basically said, how good was Anthony Pettis really? And he highlights your career. And they put it up like five months ago. And obviously, I mean, you're a great fighter. You've got, nobody can d d dispute that. You're, you have amazing knockouts, only knockout over Stephen Thompson. Um, but over the last couple of years, it hasn't been, it's been an up and down trajectory, right? Um, have you ever thought about how much longer you're going to compete or have you, are you going and questioning, should I still fight? Do I still have the drive or did you make some changes that the fans can expect to see a different Anthony Pettis? No, you got man, a lot going on, man. You got bars, the guys, kids. The guys are getting better. Like, like the, the, the people there, there aren't just, like you said, there's not hobbyists doing this. Like, and if you're not competing, like, and, and I hate to say this, but like once you, I think GSP said this this quote, or his coach was like, "When you're sleeping on silk pillows, it's hard to wake up and you know get to the gym with with the boys." And I try to live by that. Like if I go, if I do, if I go out, I gotta go to. If I go out with the boys, I go to work with the men, and I I try to like get into that. But guys are getting better, man. Like it's just, it's just it, the the sport is evolving where the competition isn't the same. And um, COVID really messed me up. No lie, like fighting with no fans is not the same for me. Like, I, I I don't think I would ever take a fight without fans ever again because it's just, I don't feel excited about it. And it sucks to say that, but it's like, man, it's just not, there's not, that's what makes me drive. Like, I hear them, I hear, I hear, I hear, I do a crazy kick and fans go crazy. It's like, it's a different feeling where I just hear my coach like, oh, great job. It's like, it was weird, man. I felt like a sparring session. So the last, uh, the, year, the year before that, I fought Cowboy and I fought Alex Morano and that was with no fans, but it was in the, it was in the UFC platform and it was like, it was like uh, my, my going away of the UFC, if you will. So I was very motivated because I was like, yo, I, I, this is my last couple fights in the UFC. And then I got to the PFL and this this version of it, like it was hard to find the motivation. No lie. It was just like it was we had a quarantine for like 20 days or 21 days before the fight. So my family wasn't there. No fans in the audience. When I walk out, it was like not, no, no, no cheering or nothing. It was just a, it was a weird vibe, man. So I feel like. Um, it's more of like that that aspect of it. Like my skill set is, is still there as well. You know, I'm, I'm training every day. I'm still running. I'm still doing my thing. But, you know, guys are getting better. And if my motivation isn't lined up with the competition, you know, I, I know what's going to happen. As far as retiring, man, I, I don't think I'll ever retire, honestly. Like I love this too much. Like the I, all I know is training camps. Like I, I live my life so, so much by this. Like every every time I had a fight, it was like three three fights a year I would have – eight week training camps, no alcohol, no, no, no party and no, no eating good food. You know, I had to cut like 30 pounds. And I, and if I, if I miss, if that goes away in my life, I don't know what I'd be doing. And so I feel like, um, I, I don't think I'll ever announce your retirement, but you know, once, once I start feeling like, all right, this is, this isn't for me or I'm you know, taking some damage or things aren't going my ways. Like I wanted to, I'll slowly fade out, but I don't think I'll ever announce your retirement. I think if you retired, I think I know exactly what you'd be doing. You'd be fishing a lot more than you do, and you fish a ton, right? What's your What's your fishing record? Man, I, I I fish everywhere I go, right? So I mean, me and my me and my lady, like I live, yeah, I live my life by like experiences, man. Like like when I die, I want to make sure I have a lot of experience. I spend money on on vacations and and my my family to see nice things. Like that's where I spend my money at. So and my my passion is fishing. So like every time we go to a different island or a different place, I'm I'm on a boat fishing. And and luckily, my my fiance, my wife loves it too. So um my, my fishing record i've said the biggest fish i ever caught was a a yellowfin actually in um where was that turks and caicos but a monster yellowfin yeah it was i forget it was like uh I, I forget the weight of it but i got a picture of it I, I, i'll post it up actually do you do you catch and release or do you catch and cook them up 
Well, if, if it's like one of those, man, I, we, we had sushi for the whole trip. I, I did that the first day and it was like seven day, a seven day vacay. We I took it to the restaurant and they were just making us uh, yellow, like jalapeno yellowtail the whole bucket trip. It was cool. Yeah. There's not a lot of really good fishing in Milwaukee. Yeah. Like some of the lakes there. I'm from Chicago. So we from have like Milwaukee, Milwaukee's amazing fishing. Really? I live on, I live on Lake Michigan. So um, my, my condo is actually on the lake. So, so what I, my, I take my boat out, I just walk right to my boat and they stock it with salmon and trout. So in, in the, winter the salmon all come back and you, it's the funnest ever you like you put on a spawn sack and you throw a bobber out and you're fighting a salmon a monster salmon like it's yeah. a crazy fight so it's, it's fun i let my daughters do it like it's, it's cool i think i'm just spoiled man because i live in south florida like fort lauderdale miami oh, is like the fishing capital the of the world it's yeah, crazy. i mean like when i fished out in florida i was just out there actually we, we, we me and serge did his uh his birthday in key west we were catching sharks off the, the back dock of our, our Airbnb. I was like, yo, this is, this is not, even, this is not compared. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like playing a video game. It's so different. Yeah, it's like, what? Come up. Yeah, it's like, that's what's kind of cool, right? Like you go fishing and that's the first time I, uh, I was, I usually fish for like grouper and stuff. So I'm going low and it was getting late and I'm pulling up and I pulled up like this huge six foot shark. And I wasn't expecting that. Cause it's like, it's like, you're playing the claw game with nature. You know, you're dropping that's the anchor down and you're kind of going, I hope I get a prize and you come up and you're like, Oh, this is, you know, a, a tough fight, but you don't know what the hell's on the bottom of that thing and i was like what do i do with this i pulled this huge shark to the side of the boat and i'm like i don't need i don't need this in my life right now so, yeah, so yeah, and i'm, I'm just, like ocean fishing i swear yeah. ocean fish ocean fishing is different yeah so what's the best and worst thing about living in milwaukee i live in vegas oh um, and you lived in milwaukee yeah, vegas I, is easy we know the best of yeah in vegas man oh man the, the best thing here is the food like you can get five star dining at 5 a.m 3 a.m if you want um milwaukee the best thing about living in milwaukee is um no distractions. Like, like literally I was there and I was locked in, man. I think that's why I became who I was is because of you know, my surroundings. Like literally I hadn't, I had family and friends and stuff, but like I had no distractions there, man. I was really focused in on, on my goals and, and what I wanted to accomplish. The, the worst thing about living in Milwaukee, the weather, the winter, man, like every, every time you wake up to go to practice, it's like you walk, you wake up at 6am. It's like negative zero everything hurts every injury hurts every year it's like trying to find every reason not to go do that workout so i would say the weather oh man it's funny you've had some some watershed moments in your career you know you have wec champion amazing knockouts you're, you're finishing guys left and right ufc lightweight champion you audition for the ultimate fighter you don't get put on the show you end up being the champ in the ufc then later you come back you coach coach the ultimate fighter so obviously like with shows like dana white in the contender series and pfl just announced that they're going to start doing um um like like a, a feeder show what advice do you have to the next generation of guys specifically that are trying to kind of get up uh through the ranks through these like feeder tv shows yeah man um get good health insurance would be my biggest advice <laughs> <laughs> um no but uh i think uh man what's what's happening right now in the mixed martial arts world is amazing there's there's actually opportunities now right where it's not like one league or one place to fight at you know my i, I pushed my little brother over to bellator we both had careers in the ufc i'm fighting the pfl um khabib uh just opened up eagle fc put a, a different weight classes and there's so much opportunity in the uh mma world right now and i think um if you look at it, it's crazy. The growth of MMA is like almost it's above NFL, NBA, worldwide sports. It's well, I mean, it's close to soccer where our fan base is at. So it's 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 one of the biggest sports there is. So like if if you got if you're up and coming, you got to understand you got to create a brand in this. Like if, if you're gonna do this, you can't just be a fighter. You got to be uh, you got to have a brand that can last and 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 you can do something after with. And I think that's what I created. Um, so actually, I'm starting. A, I already started a Showtime Fighting Championship. 
is uh, starting February 11th, um, and I'm, I just signed a deal with the UFC Network, so I'll be on UFC Fight Pass with my show, and I'm basically doing the same thing, going to every city, finding the local talent, and giving them a platform to perform on. So back when I was coming up, man, I was fighting Harley Davidson dealerships and and those sports bars. So it's cool to see where the sport is is going, and and who knows where 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 it's headed. You know, it's 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 awesome to be part of it. Yeah, it's crazy how the sports evolved too, because you mentioned like fighting obviously in like these little podunk back bar rooms, and that's so Miguel Torres, who everybody knows, good friend of mine from Chicago. So like it was like me, Miguel Torres, and, and Stefan Bonner. We were kind of like the three people in the Chicago Hammond area that were always fighting on the same cards, training together. Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, so Miguel Torres and I almost fought like the first time because we were both at this bar Finkies and like we didn't, the promoter, Brawley Coral was like, no, no, you guys both train. It's cool. Like, that's not why you guys are here. You're like, that's the, you know, like, <laughs> so like, that's why I met him. And he's like, just a little, you know, 40 pounds small. I didn't care. He wanted to fight anybody, man. He's a tough he dude. Didn't but care, man. That dude, he's, honestly, he's great. Bro, Miguel Torres in his, in his prime time, I was one of the, I say pound for pound best fighter ever around man like he, he was the first guy that put it all together he's fighting off his back jujitsu i mean I, I seen him spar heavyweights and i'm like yo this guy's a killer like he he was yeah. different and he has, then, he has and no go quit in the car, had to go in the car and be drinking tequila i'm like dude this guy's a monster man yeah i was man miguel torres is for like one of my one of my idols honestly i i, I um put my style after him on the ground if you look at my ground style jujitsu yeah. i modeled it after him super dangerous off your back and always punching to make it like mma jujitsu yeah, it's hard because like, you know, he he and you are, are some of the few people that were really active off their back. A lot of guys get taken down and it, it's yep. tough to be on your back. And and when guys are like, you know how to stop that hip movement and you're stopping the arm bars, it's way easier to learn to defend being in guard than it is to really be a super offensive guy from guard. But you and Miguel Torres, there's only been a handful of guys that have been really successful with like transitioning from like the arm bar to the triangle that you had in WEC and things like that. Um, do... Uh, if, if tomorrow morning, for some reason, you became the president of MMA, what's the first thing you would change? Weight cutting. Man, it's, it's, it's bad for all these guys. I think all, all these athletes, and they don't understand, like, I've been doing it, and I'm, I've been doing it for 14, 15 years now, which is crazy. And, like, I mean, we're talking about cutting 30 to 40 pounds. Like, I fought at 145, and I'm, I'm walking around 185, you know, so I'm cutting 40 pounds to get down there. Um, and it's so bad for your health. It's so bad for your mind. It's just your, your mindset in general. Like we like, that's why you see fighters blowing up. They get on these like, um, yo-yo diets is what I call it. Right. It's like, Oh, I got a training camp. I got to be super strict. And then when I'm don't have, when I'm done with the fight, I go whatever I want. And then you start living your life that way. And you see these like fluctuations in weight, you see these guys and you can see it. And eventually it catches up to you. Like that only lasts for so long where you're like, all right, now this weight cut's going to hurt me and I'm dying. And then all of a sudden your performance shows that you had a hard weight cut. So I think weight cutting is, 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 is actually taking away from what MMA could be. Like these guys could probably do way more. Like I could probably do a couple showtime kicks in a fight if I didn't cut 40 pounds before the fight. What do you walk around at right now? 185. 25. So you just, that's like a good weight to cut to Walter weight, right? Like you just 15 pounds, you feel comfortable there? Yeah, I would say that makes sense, right? But like now you got guys cutting from 200 pounds to 155. You got guys cutting from like if, if you're at 170, there's no, most guys aren't walking around under 200 pounds. So like now for me, as where I'm at, it's like, shit, I have to go down to 155 because these guys at 170 are too big. Yeah, that's like when I, you I, mean, not, I fought at 172, you know, like I fought, I fought Wonder Boy and I got the knockout. I fought Nate Diaz and I fought Alex Morano. I fought Cowboy. I like, I like welterweight. And then I fought my world, my world title at lightweight. And then I went down and fought Max Holloway at featherweight. And so you said, I, mean, I, I fought all these guys, but 
if I could go back and do it, I wouldn't cut that weight like that. It was that was that was the worst thing I could do is cutting that much weight. Do you feel like as you get older too, you want to fight at the higher weight classes because it's more uh, it's um easier on the body than having to cut 15, 20 pounds and be stressed out? I think at this point, I'm like, yo, if I could fight, I could fight. And if I if, if like it's not it's like if me cutting weight isn't gonna help me win that fight, and that's how I kind of look at it now. It's like I don't, if I have to cut an extra 15 pounds to go win a world title, like then I'm not in my right weight class. I think everybody and their mother should have to like uh, cut weight one time in their life just to see how just arduous that process is. The first five pounds, people go, oh man, I lost six pounds training today in jiu-jitsu. I'm like, it's not the first six, it's the last two. It's, <laughs> it's tough to get those that off. Last, that, last, that last one pound, bro. Yeah, it's like an eternity. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're like, you haven't peed in like th- 35 hours. You're like as emaciated as you can get. Um, yeah, like that's what I look forward to. Like when I'm cutting weight, I like, I, I, like that's the, the, after I have to cut weight, I'm like, all right, it's over. Like the fight don't even matter. I'm like, all right, I finally did, I did it. <laughs> right. You're so excited to get food and some, some, uh, yeah. some fluid in you. It's like, oh, it tastes so good. It's, it's amazing. Um, you know, you said you're, you're never going to retire, but at some point I'm sure that that will happen. Right. What do you want your legacy to be? I made my legacy, man. Like, I feel like um, I, I wanted to be the baddest dude that fought the baddest dudes. Like, I was the guy who was like, yo, who's who's the best? That's who I want to fight. And I, I, you look at my career, man, like, I fought killer after killer after killer after killer. Like, there was no easy fights in my in my resume. Um, and and I did I did pretty fucking good, man. So I feel like uh, you know, my, my legacy is, like, obviously the Showtime kick, the, sh- the that, that style of fighting. Guys are trying to, you know, do that as well. But, like if you look at boxing and you look at, you know, UFC, like look at the resume and see what kind of fighter that guy was. Cause like it, it, that matters to me. Like when we're talking like goat talk, I'm like, look at the resume. Then it tell you like, who's the goat of the sport. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Um, so just moving on from the MMA space, talk to us about clone X 4239. Your NFT. Oh man, I got lucky with that. So, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm into the crypto world, you know, I, I've, I've made some, some great money off of this, uh, you know, this space um but the clone x project just made sense i mean artifacts is you know one of the one of the leading guys when it comes to this digital art and, and they partnered up with murakami so i already knew it was going to be a huge project so i bought um i think about four vials at like ten thousand dollars each uh 2.5 ethereum at that point maybe 12 a little under twelve thousand bucks and uh man one of them turned into a a, a gem man like i, I, I probably won't sell that thing for less than five hundred thousand, or even it's like it's close okay. to 750 is that your ten thousand uh, investment? Wow, that's crazy! You have, you have a few different NFTs too. You've got that um, oh, not the space chimp, but I forget which one. You've got one of the space chimps. Age, yeah. Space, space age. age, yeah, yeah. That's so that, that project is with actually with Offset. So I'm with uh, so Bitcoin Latinum is like uh, coming into the, the crypto world. If you guys, guys are into that, check it out. LTNM is Bitcoin Latinum, and I was a early investor in on that because I, I believe in that project as well. Um, first, the first coin that's like uh, green based, like like seventy percent less energy than mining bitcoin and all that stuff so i got behind them they got into uh they just made a they made like this is actually a cool story they made a fighter draft so you all these guys i went to this 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 kind of a fight i guess but it was a party these guys fought and you were about allowed to buy their nft at the ground level genius idea but i feel like it's we're, we're still a little bit away from that yet but uh it was it was cool to see like that the two worlds collide um but uh offset um and uh takeoff which is you know the Migos, like Cardi B's husband, Offset. Yeah. yeah. So their group is the one that made uh, uh, Apes in Space. So what they're trying to do is like essentially buy a concert venue in the metal world. So hip hop concerts, any concerts are done there. So if you own those Apes in Space, you want a percent of their project in the metal world. Um, that's what that was my key on 
we'll get into that. There's a there's a really good project too in the metaverse in the VR space called um, uh, Sensorium, and that's uh, Jay Z's company bought them, and they have like David Guetta and a bunch of people. They're doing like VR concerts. They're like the leader in having like virtual reality, augmented reality. We're gonna have all these concerts and be able to go and hang out with that's people. Awesome. It's, it's, yeah, there's some crazy stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like no one no one knows what's coming, but like honestly, I, I know it's big, and I'm getting behind everything. Like everybody on my Instagram is like, oh, Pettis is buying everything. I'm like, no, I'm looking into the projects that I know. Are, are going into that that space another cool project and i'm all over the place but about boxing boys so these guys are coming out and they're um they're, they're starting as a coin and you, you you can buy and stake their coin but they're giving out these vr headsets and boxing gloves where you can essentially box anybody around the world so like i can box my fans in in the metaverse oh that's awesome um, we, we can bet on the boxing i mean so it's a cool ass concept yes yeah, so that's another project i'm, I'm getting behind as well how did you get involved in the crypto space was ben Askren uh, one of your training partners a big catalyst ben was Ben was preaching the crypto to me forever, and I didn't, I didn't even look at it. Uh, randomly, I got I just got I, I got lucky. I was at a conversation. I was at a table, a dinner with a couple of my friends that I didn't even know were in a crypto. They started talking crypto, and I'm like, "What the hell is this stuff?" I didn't know what Ethereum even was or what a MetaMask was. Um, so I had one of my guys set me up. He set me up a MetaMask, and uh, we got in on a couple coins that uh, I, man, I can't even say it. this is how recent it was. It was called Wizcoin. I think it's still around. And I was on the first jump. So I played 10K and it jumped up to like 200,000 and I was hooked immediately. And I, I talked money. So I was like, yo, this is the space that I need to be figuring out. So ever since then, man, I've literally been at my computer and and, and researching and, and understanding the space and seeing what's possible um, in this world. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty involved in this. It's crazy too, because PFL is, um, and I think that like, we're so, we don't even have an, um, you know, regulation that's clear and cut around Bitcoin yet, but the watershed moment, I think will be a, a spot ETF. However, like the NFTs, the metaverse, I think we're still several years away. So like people are like, oh, these projects, they see these huge gains, but we're still so yeah. early. Like if, if a project is going to be around in 10 years, it like, don't worry about what it is now. It's going to be worth 50 times what it is right now. If it's exactly as long as it has you know sustainability that's the hard part for me right now like i'm trying to like and i i love this space so that's why i post about it and i'm like i want it's, it's information you know if i post about it man my dms are like check out this project check out this project so that's why i just keep i just keep spreading that that awareness but like the average person don't understand it enough to like oh what is that it's a piece of art and they don't really understand the community behind it and the projects that are behind that piece of art which provides the value on that so it's hard to explain man like like even even to like my financial guys i'm like yo this is isn't just the painting it's it's this is what's behind the painting is why it's like the artifact deal like nike acquisition on the day of the release of a vial that i bought for ten thousand. that's just a perfect storm of of, of things that happen it's hard to explain to the average person yeah, I mean, a lot of people know like Beeple and Beeple was, is finally excited because he's like, I can finally monetize my my digital artwork and, you know, sold for millions and millions of dollars. What's cool, too, is like the PFL, they uh, onboarded Chili's and they're doing their fan token and stuff. And they're really ahead in the crypto space and they're doing some NFTs. So that could be a, that could be a cool spot. to. Yeah, I'm looking at all that. I think I think I, I, I eventually seen this, these like the, like the PFL will actually, actually have its own blockchain where it actually has a community where it's supported. Right. Like if I could if I could mint a fighter NFT and then I can you know, have a, a PFL coin, if you will. Um, and it has real value in the PFL where I can like do meeting greets. I could have seats at the fights or have access to their library. I would spend that. I'd rather spend that money on a, an NFT than paying, you know, 300 bucks for a ticket that only gets me to see the fight. You know, I'd rather spend 300 on an NFT that I could possibly get a ticket, but I'm invested in. And then you put in like the, the gaming world to it, man. Imagine when like a game can be attached to that and you can have your own fighter that can earn real coins in this blockchain that man, it's just insane when I think about it. It's crazy because like it, in a lot of ways, early crypto kind of parallels early MMA. 
when it first came out, people were kind of, dis- they disregarded it. They're like, ah, that's some shit that is never going to catch on. And then as it caught on and people kind of figured out, all right, this isn't going anywhere. Then they started turning their heads and going, what is it? And then it just started expanding and growing. And that's really what we're seeing in the crypto space. I didn't even, I never thought about that. That's an amazing analogy, bro. Honestly, exactly. It's exactly the same. Yeah, literally like they, MMA was there and, and, and no one even knew about it. And all of a sudden, you know, one person got involved, the right person got involved. And it's mainstream, probably the biggest sport. I mean, that's exactly what crypto is doing right now. Yeah, it's badass, man. I know I had Kenny Florian. I have to have you back when I have Kenny on to talk about some crypto stuff because I'm a huge crypto nerd myself. Like I've been involved yeah, in crypto. Let's, like let's, after this interview, let's, let's exchange some some tips, man. I'm, I'm looking all for it, bro. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure, man. There, there's some there's some good stuff out there. I just had, um. so there was, a, I'm a big Bitcoin nerd. And if you ever watch any of the, the, the documentaries like Banking on Bitcoin or Bitcoin, the end of money, as we know it on Netflix, there's a guy, Charlie Shrem in there and, and not to get too far into that subject, but like, like, um, I just had Ben Mesrich on, who's one of my favorite authors. He wrote the book, Bringing Down the House, which turned into the movie 21. He wrote uh, the anti-social or accidental billionaires, which turned into the movie, the Facebook network. He just wrote a book that you should check out. It's called Bitcoin billionaires. And it's about mm-hmm. the Winkle Vosses and how they became these huge billionaires. And they're making a movie out of that. So that's interesting. Uh, if you get some, yeah, I, I literally just downloaded that book on audible. Cause I was, I just ran, Perfect. I ran across like, uh, uh, I think it was like NFT, like one of those NFT accounts, they have like the Winkle Vosses version of the metaverse. I'm like, I got to learn about that as well, man. There's so much information yeah. like, I need to catch up on. But yeah, it's funny you said that. Cause like, I was like, I didn't even know who them guys were at first. I, I saw the movie, but I didn't understand how into this, this world they are and how much they made off of this world. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's well, not to get too much into their story, but like they, what happened was when they left Facebook, they couldn't find any, but they got this huge settlement from Facebook, but they yeah. couldn't find tech investors that would take their startup capital because everyone was like, well, that's great, but you have a shitty relationship with Mark Zuckerberg. And one of our exit strategies is Facebook buys everything. So they were like, man, what do we do with all this money? And then they haphazardly got invested into Bitcoin and they started buying like, like a hundred thousand clips of Bitcoin at like 12 bucks each, like just crazy. <laughs> Imagine just Oh my God. But it's crazy because, you know, like Ben said, um, you know, lightning rarely strikes twice. You know, they're in the right spot for Facebook and then for Bitcoin. So they're doing something right, man. And just like you are, man. And I really appreciate you. Appreciate you taking the time, bro. And, um, you know, definitely have you back on. We'll talk some crypto and and offline and online. So appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you you for having me on, man. All right, brother. Take it easy, man. Best of the family. Cheers. Later.